Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Going Up Cast, your weekly feel good podcast with a bunch of new music. We talk about the end of Harry Potter, a little bit about the tail end of E3. I talk about Game of Thrones some more because I can't help myself, and a whole lot more. I'm your host, Andrew Logan, and let's dive right into it. This week we cover some ground, we get into some new stuff, we finally end Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince. Book 7 starts next week, and I'm very excited about it. But first, if you enjoy the Going Up Cast and wish to support the Going Cast, there's lots of ways you can do that. You can go to patreon.com forward slash goingupcast, where you can become a Patreon supporter and get access to the monthly live stream. Or you can go to goingcast.com forward slash store, where you can get a mystery book for a low, low price. Or you can custom order your own book for your listening perusal. That's enough shilling on my end. Let's get into the podcast. Alright, it has been a week since E3 landed, but I am now just talking about the Square Enix presentation. It is the second to last one with Nintendo having been the following morning. So let's just quickly run down the roster of Square Enix and get into the really good shit that we all came to think and play. So they talked a little bit about uh, Life is Strange 2, which has been out for a little while. I loved the first one. I've yet to play the second one, but it looked good, so it was good. Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles. I don't really know. It's getting a, a Switch port. I believe it's available soon. Uh, so there you go. Octopath Traveler. Um, Last Remnant Remastered. That's the one. And that's the one that went out the same day as the uh, as the presentation. So woohoo for all those people that remembered The Last Remnant. Uh, Dragon Quest Builders 2. Dragon Quest 11. Echoes of an Elusive Age. Both got cool things. Dragon Age Builders 2 is brand new, and uh, Echoes of the Elusive Age, I believe, is a uh, is like a fancy remaster thing. Uh, there's the Square Enix Collective Games. Um, it's a bunch of games that um, Square Enix has published over the last few years, and uh, look at what's coming in uh, next year. Battalion 1994, Romancing Saga 3, Final Fantasy uh, 14 Shadowbringers, uh, new stuff to uh, the MMO coming out very soon, July 2nd. So just right around the corner. Dying Light 2, they gave us a little bit more about that. Saga Scarlet is a minute trailer. I don't know what it's <laughs> Outriders, which is a, a, a game. Uh, Modern Dark Shooters, what they're calling it from the makers of Gears of War Judgment. And um, uh, what was it? Bullet Storm. So it looked good. So I don't know anything about it. Oninaki, um, which also was a game. <laughs> Final Fantasy VIII Remaster coming out, uh, I think, this year. Obviously, the Final Fantasy Final Fantasy VII uh, remaster or remake um, is chugging along. They're toting that it's going to have as much game content to cover two Blu-ray discs, which is an obscene amount of stuff. Um, and like the rest of the world, I'm very excited to play it. I personally enjoy the fact that the combat is a lot more fluid. Um, the turn-based strategy stuff of Final Fantasy VII originally is fine. Like I do it in Pokemon all the time, but in, in this like newer thing i love the fast-paced combat and i love that you can put the uh the materia spells and special moves on um high keys so you don't have to pause the action to like kind of do shit you can just like blam 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 get them out get them going and just kind of launch them um i'm very much looking forward to that and then of course the game i knew uh going in existed but i really wanted to watch it kind of get air quotes announced live is Marvel Avengers. It is going to be 
awesome. I can't wait. You got the core five characters. Uh, Iron Man being played by Nolan North. You got Bruce Banner, the Hulk, being played by Troy Baker. You've got Captain America being played by somebody I can't remember. You got Thor being played by Travis Willingham and Black Widow being played by Laura Bailey. Those last two of Critical Role fame. Uh, and also Travis has been the voice of Thor for a long time. And um, it's it's it, he does he does a great job. It's that very kind of like, I am the god of thunder. <laughs> that kind of over-the-top um, stuff that I fucking love. So, it is a completely unique story. They are doing the Destiny thing where they have already planned out like a lifetime for the game of like years of new content and support for the game like going down the pipeline. Destiny failed to do that. Um, it did come out with a sequel, but it's not, it wasn't, it didn't have the legs that people, that they wanted it to have. I think Marvel The Avengers might. If it has cross-platform um, play, because it's going to be on PS4, Xbox One, Stadia, and PC. If it has cross-platform play, where I can play on my PlayStation with people on the computer or vice versa, um, or whatever, then I think it might have the legs. Because Marvel fans are tenacious. We stuck through over a decade of a cinematic universe to make it one of the most successful movie franchises of all time. So if they have the, the like if they introduce the characters, if they bring in the baddies, if they keep the story alive like they say they're going to, then this game will be around for a little while and I am very excited about it. I mean, I'm super stoked for Ultimate Alliance 3, but this has like straight from Marvel's like tie-in. So it's pretty it's pretty fantastic. I think um it's probably like one of my most anticipated games and the glory part of it is that it comes out a good month after cyberpunk 2077 which is right around that time when i will probably have beaten it for the third or fourth or fifth or 90th time or i'm still playing it for the first time i don't really know how cyberpunk is going to go down but it comes out in may i think it was may 15th um that doesn't tell me on my little cheat sheet here but i think it was may 15th so that's pretty cool and yeah, that's Square Enix did a did a good job. And I think what I appreciate about their their presentation is that it was more or less just like we're working on this game. Here's some people to talk about the game. Here's the next game. Here's some people to talk about the game. And that's fucking it. None of this like I've been playing Bethesda games for ten years now, <laughs> and I used to take time off in order to play Fallout Two, and then when Fallout Three came out, I was just so happy. None of that masturbatory shit. Anyway, uh, I, I very much enjoyed the Square Enix uh, thing, the presentation. I also enjoyed the fact that Marvel The Adventures is going to get cool bonus content only found on the PlayStation, which means I joined the right fucking camp, because PlayStation is rad, and it's getting all the superhero shit. Marvel is like, yo, we're working with Sony, because Disney worked with Square Enix for Kingdom Hearts, and so Spider-Man went to PS4, and Marvel The Adventures is going to be cross-platform, but you get the bonus shit on PS4. Basically, if you want to do cool-ass superhero shit, you get yourself a PS fucking 4. Iron Man VR, PS VR. That's where you're going to find it. Anyway, I'm going to go to bed. Uh, in real life, not in, a, not in the podcast. We're going to move on to the next thing in the podcast. So I just went and saw me another concert. You apologize for the 
fan behind me, but it's a rather toasty evening, and I uh, don't have a lot of time for you to hit the hay here, but I wanted to just quickly regale you with what is probably going to be my final concert that I witness at the iconic El Corazon venue in Seattle, Washington. The El Corazon venue has been around since a, for a long time. Pearl Jam played there a long time ago. It's it is a staple to the to the music scene of Seattle and it is on its way to being demolished or sold or changed in some way. So the El Corazon as we know it will soon be a thing of the past. And despite its iconic nature and the sheer number of concerts I've seen there, it's not a great venue, so I'm not really that broken up about it. Um, like, the, there's no AC. It's always hot as shit. Um, it's, there's not really many great viewing points. You know, it's, it's a fine venue. It gets the job done. But I'm hopeful that when it goes away, these bands of awesome repute play better venues so I don't have to see them at this uh this terrible one so fingers crossed anyway went and saw glory hammer for the second time i saw them a while ago with a ale storm but unfortunately i had to leave early that night um because of like parking and stuff like that so couldn't stay for the whole show but uh, this time we stayed until like uh they did the encore um i always check the set list before i go to see a band so i heard every song i wanted to hear that night and then we just took off uh, opening bands were a local band called Greyhawk, a, another band called Zero Down, and then Aether Realm, who um, actually did pretty pretty dang well. I think Aether Realm was the most interesting of the three opening bands. Um, their music isn't to my taste because of like the screamo vocals, but the mosh pit was highly entertaining to watch. Um, we were standing next to uh, some. Uh, interesting characters uh, they had like a flip phone on their belt and uh, khakis and were just that kind of um, individual somebody who you would never expect to be at a metal show like this and when Aether Realm comes on they lost their minds with excitement and they like left uh, where we were standing like in the back like up on a little riser and they got in the mosh pit and just went fucking nuts and it was so cool to see because it was just like you would never expect. Like they looked like they were, you know, desk jobs, inputting numbers, doing that shit for like 20 years. But they just went nuts and they were having the time of their life. And I'm just like, man, metal's the fucking best. And I was watching the mosh pit, which was super entertaining. It's so much fun to watch it when you're not in it. I hate moshing, but I love watching it because um, it's just like you can see the passion in their faces and they're just all so happy. And whenever anybody went down, they would, like, all stop and, like, reach down and grab them and, like, yank them back to their feet so they could keep moshing. Like, they were watching out for each other. And it was just, it was, it was heartwarming. Just, like, we're having, we're fucking moshing, but we're doing it in a safe way. And we're having fun with it. And people, no one's getting hurt. You know, it was super easy to get in and out of the mosh pit. Like, oh, man, they were just, they were loving it. And Glory Hammer put on one hell of a show. Super theatrical and over the top. Um, big costumes and there was like there's this bit where a guy comes on stage dressed as a goblin and then he kills him with a hammer and it's just everybody's like cheering and ah uh, it was it was a wonderful show played a lot of songs off their new album Legends uh, from Beyond the Galactic Terror Vortex which is a wonderful album and I would highly recommend it and it's also one of the only concerts I've ever gone to where I did not get a concert t-shirt and it wasn't by choice they did not have any. They had sold out um, throughout this uh, this tour, and the order for new ones had not arrived yet. So I was just like, uh-huh. 
well, that is interesting. That's fine. They had signed posters and CDs, but I didn't really care for either of those because the poster would get flattened and I have Spotify, so I don't need a CD. So it was it was a very good show. And I very much enjoyed it. I'm not sure what show I have next on the Rocket Docket. My gut is telling me it's Slash in like July. Um, but to be determined. But it was a very good show. And I wanted to talk about it and tell you that Glory Hammer puts on one hell of a show. And if you have a chance, I'd hi- I, I would highly recommend seeing them. And uh, take a lesson that I've hard learned from my years of going to concerts. I don't care how cool you think you are. Wear earplugs. You'll thank me later. It is loud as shit, and it's going to be loud as shit for hours. Wear earplugs. It's not worth it. It just isn't. You can still hear it just as well if you wear earplugs. Or do what I do. I just use my in-ear headphones because um, it's like it blocks out the noise great. So that is um that is my advice to you. Wear headphones or uh, earplugs. Just take care of your ears when you go to a concert because once that's gone, you're not getting it back. So just keep that in mind. Anyway, I'm going to bed because I have to wake up in like five hours. So let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. Another week, the final week of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince audiobook. We have finally made it. The last three chapters. Chapter 28, Flight of the Prince. Chapter 29, The Phoenix Lament. And chapter 30, The White Tomb. Thank God this book had an even number of chapters that were divisible by 30. Or by 3, rather. The highlight for this week comes to us from chapter 29. A loophole that should have been used the entire time, yet was actually used the entire time, but by some giant asshole who nobody really cares about. In a new portrait, I joined the ranks of the dead headmasters, headmistresses of Hogwarts. Dumbledore was slumbering in a golden frame over his desk, his half-moon spectacles perched upon his crooked nose, looking peaceful and untroubled. This is the bit that always fucking bothered the ever-living shit out of me, right? Dumbledore's dead, but there's the painting that knows everything Dumbledore knows and has the ability to talk and provide advice and wisdom and blah, blah, etc., 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 right? I know he's not a real fucking person, but it seems to me that you can get a goddamn pocket painting of Dumbledore or some shit and carry that motherfucker with you all the goddamn time would have saved everybody just oodles of time in book seven. What's the point of, like, learning lessons and shit when you're trying to save the goddamn world? This painting of Dumbledore should have been his fourth right and straightforward as he fucking possibly could have been saved everybody a goddamn bunch of fucking time anyway oh it's all about the lessons and harry's journey from being a boy to me who gives a shit fucking tell Dumbledore painting to be helpful or you'll burn them or fuck i don't know just carry a painting with all your loved ones and then you're never gonna miss them because they're just around for fucking ever immortality in a painting it's just that's, that's the bit that always bothered me. And you could, you could all be sitting there being like, oh no, the painting isn't very helpful. It fucking helps Snape a whole bunch, doesn't it? Doesn't that painting help Snape a whole bunch? Yeah, it helps Snape a whole fucking bunch. Painting's so fucking, it's just, the whole plot hole is so goddamn stupid. Just use the painting. Talk to the fucking painting. Oi, Dumbledore, wake up. You're dead. We need to talk to you. Oh, we're going to miss you so terribly. What were you and Harry Potter doing? Oh, we were looking for Horcruxes. Yep, Dumbledore and Voldemort's got him. Watch out for those. Anyway. Three brand new chapters of Harry Potter Adventures drop every Wednesday night around 8 o'clock. These are the final chapters of book six. Next week, we begin the Deathly Hollows journey, which I am actively still recording right now. So here's hoping I finish it by the time those chapters start going up. Anyway, let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. 
So still plowing ahead in the old Game of Thrones catalog. I'm halfway through season six and I was uh, talking with some people about it and I'm really enjoying season six so far. I like some of the, the snappy writing. I like some of the uh, the action sequences. Um, it's It's been a pretty good season. I think season five took a bit of a dip um, in terms of what the fuck went down. Although I will say that Jon Snow stuff was pretty compelling. But then again, I always thought he was one of the more interesting characters. And in season six, things seem to be really taking off in a lot of fun directions. And just so I don't, you know, beat up a dead horse, the thing I really wanted to talk about this week was the legacy of Game of Thrones. There are prequels coming down the pipeline. Uh, there are still books to be written. Like, Game of Thrones will still be part of the pop cultural sphere for some time. And just because the core show has ended doesn't mean that the, the life surrounding the show is coming to an end, even though a lot of people uh, went down that route. I'm quite positive that the number of people to cancel their HBO Now subscriptions was quite significant when the uh, finale of Game of Thrones finally aired, which means they missed out on the documentary, which was wonderful. And I believe that Game of Thrones, the, the core show, will, will stand the test of time and despite its lackluster final seasons and the overall negative uh, reception that the finale had on its on the majority of its fan base, Game of Thrones is still going to go down in history as one of the best shows of all time, if not the the ultimate show of all time. Like it broke down boundaries. It did more for a TV show than any that came before it. It like earned more money. It cost more money uh the set pieces were were movie worthy like it's it is the the best example of how far a tv show can go and i can't wait to see how much further we go beyond where game of thrones went you know in terms of storylines in terms of risks from character point of view i know once they got beyond the books they took significantly less risks when it came to offing their main characters um and there's you know some people are like, ah, oh, the plot armor was really thick for some of these characters. And, you know, there's something to be said for that. But also at the same time, they knew the end was approaching. And if you off characters that late in the season, like, or that late in the show, there's not much left to really tie up, you know? Um, not that I'm saying that's an excuse. And I know a lot of shows tend to wait to the end of the show before they start killing characters off. But Game of Thrones took those risks and killed a bunch of characters off in the beginning. And that's what made it so impactful, you know, when it was just like, oh, this, this story is going this way. And it was like, like, uh, take Rob Stark, for example, the slow demise of his army culminated in his ultimate betrayal at, um, at the twins and his death and his wife's death and his mom's death. And like the whole army basically was slaughtered and that was super impactful. And they took a huge risk and it paid off because it's it was one of the best episodes of television because no I didn't see it coming people that read the book saw it coming but I was just like what the fuck holy shit it was crazy never seen anything like it before or since on, te on television that was still one of the coolest things so so love it or hate it watch it or hear about it read it and not watch it whatever y'all did with Game of Thrones it is impactful it has a legacy that many shows would kill for. And despite what the prequels may do, despite where it goes from here, 
it can't undo what has already been done for its legacy. Um, similar to how all these new remakes of old school uh, Disney animated films, a lot of people were being like, why are they doing this? They're, they're going to ruin the, my childhood with this. It's stupid. They shouldn't do it. Number one, they're doing it for money. Two, it, the new movies don't negate or cancel out the original ones. You can still go back and watch them. Uh, and you can watch them very easily coming up here in November on Disney+. Plus. <clears throat> uh, just saying. So, you know, it won't change anything. Game of Thrones is still awesome. The, the, the lackluster final season does not retroactively make the previous seasons worse. You know, if anything, they're just... Go back and watch when the show was good. When Tywin was still kicking it, that shit was rad. Season six, so far pretty good. Uh, you know, it's just important to remember that while we may be disappointed with some things, the things that came before that we were happy with don't go away. Random wisdom for Game of Thrones. Anyway, let's move on to the next thing. Funny. This week for Songs of the Week, I've got two incredible songwriters I want to talk about. One of them is not a happy song, but I love it, so I'm playing with the format just a little bit. Mostly because I really wanted to cover it, so that's kind of where we're at. Yeah, that one's brand fucking new from like four days ago. It's crazy. All right, so first song, June 12th, 2011, by a red-haired British boy named Ed Sheeran. That's right, it's the A-Team. It's the first song I ever heard of Ed's, and while I profess I'm not a big fan of popular music, I will, um, I guess, like, like new popular music, um, I got, I got a soft spot for Ed. He has a, uh, he's got quite a few songs that I'm a really big fan of, and this is one of them. It's, uh, it's acoustically cool, um, it, according to the Wikipedia article, it's about a prostitute addicted to crack, um, which is a class A drug, so, again, not a happy song, not in the slightest, but I, I, I enjoy it. So here's my cover of A-Team by uh, Ed Sheeran. And they say she's in the class A-Team, stuck in her daydreams. It's been this way since 18, but lately her face seems slowly sinking, wasting, crumbling like pastries. And they scream, worst things in life come free to us who are just under the upper hand go mad for a couple grams she don't want to go outside tonight and in a pipe she flies to the motherland sells love to another man it's too cold outside for angels to fly the next song I want to talk to you all about is from an old school badass named Bruce Springsteen who just dropped his latest album, Western Stars. This song was one of the singles to be released off the album uh, a couple of weeks back called Tucson Train. Now the album's got a lot of great stuff on it, but what I dig about Tucson Train is that this album really does evoke the, the, the old school Western feel, and it is the type of music you would you would hear like on the plains while like riding horses and stuff like that and to me Springsteen can capture that Americana feel of different aspects of the country during different eras better than any other fucking artist that's still you know like bouncing around Dylan was super inspirational and influential for sure but some of Springsteen's stuff just the imagery and the emotions he can evoke in his lyrics that are so universal and ubiquitous particularly in America, it is so impressive. 
And Tucson Train really does remind me of like the old West, you know, that that new frontier of uh, a Western expansion and all that stuff. It's it's really it's really good. Um, it says here it was influ- the album was influenced by Southern California pop music, including Glenn Campbell and Burt Bacharach. Uh, there are a couple of songs that have this old kind of crooner feel, like um, "There Goes My Miracle" has that kind of uh, evocation around it. Um, it is it's a really strong album, and if you like Springsteen, it is awesome, deep awesome, deep awesome. So I would check it out. I would highly recommend it. It's really strong. Springsteen's still showing that he can he can kick it with anybody. It's good shit. Anyway, let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. And finally, this week on the Going Up Cast, I want to talk about the past and how it prepped for the future. You may remember long, long ago, there were these, these future plans. This aspect of culture where it'd be Here's where we've advanced as a society. But what does the year 2000 look like? What does the year 2050 look like? What does the future hold? You may remember these things from like the 50s and the 60s, talking about cities on the moon, flying cars, robot servants, all sorts of cool ass shit. And it was optimistic. We looked forward to what was coming down the pipeline from a technological point of view. They did incredible things in the 20th century. They put a man on the moon. They put several people on the moon. And they're planning on doing it again. We got the International Space Station up in the sky, and they're planning on allowing people to take, like, civilian trips to the International Space Station, costing several million dollars, which is absurd. But like all new technology, like when planes first started, it was for the upper class. It was for the luxurious amongst humanity, you know? Back in the, like, in the original days of commercial airliners, Food was top tier. It was a luxurious experience. Now you can get a flight on Southwest for $36 from Seattle to Las Vegas, pretty much whenever the hell you want. And you, you, you just do it. Now it's just ubiquitous form of transport that takes you from point A to point B or anywhere around the world faster than any other method we have currently. When the, when the Hyperloop comes into play, uh, we might see some other stuff like the hyperspeed trains in Japan. And all over the like in other places around the world, 200 mile an hour super transits. Crazy how cool technology is. And what I want to do here is I want to hypothesize what we might see in the future based on technology that is currently in development. And the the main focal point that I've been using for this discussion is next year we get the Summer Olympics in Tokyo 2020. And Tokyo is breaking out some incredible new tech for the Olympics. It's almost like a world's fair again, which is something I would absolutely love to see come back. Say what you will about the state of the world right now, but I always love the Olympics for the unifying two weeks the world has for the Olympics. We come together for a series of games and that's it. Like we're all there to compete. It's wholesome. It's unifying. We're all cheering on our own squads. It's it's wonderful. I love the Olympics. I wish we did it more, but I, you know that might kind of take away from the the uniqueness of it. And you know, right now we get uh, right now we get an Olympics. Excuse me, every couple of years, and I am very excited for what Tokyo is wheeling out for this. Number one, we've got 8K television screens being rolled out. 
You might think that 4K is currently as high as it goes. 8K is the next step up. And I know what you're all thinking. How could it possibly be clearer than 4K, which is sharper than reality? Uh, it's, you know, as with all these things, they're just increasing the pixel density in a screen. More pixels mean sharper image. Therefore, like, outside of, like, the infinite numberscape, the only restraint on this is how small they can make the pixels. Because eventually they're going to get them so fucking small that they've reached the limit because things can only get so small, you know? But 8K television screens. I have no idea how sharp those things are. I'm still impressed with 4K, so we'll just have to wait and see. Number two, something that I spent a lot of time in college talking about, is instant language translation. One of the greatest barriers between different cultures and an intercultural communication is the fact that we all speak a different language. That is a huge barrier. You either have to learn the language, or you have to get a translator, or you have to use a guidebook. You know, there's a lot of barriers in that. But with instant local communication, which we already have in certain situations, there's a ton of mobile apps that you can download straight to your phone for free. That while they might not do a perfect job, it's certainly passable. What Japan has done for the Tokyo Olympics is they've created an army of robots, essentially, that will act as tour guides and translators for foreign dignitaries and people coming to watch the Olympics. Basically, if you go to the Olympic Village, you will find these robots all over the place, helping people out, acting as translators, and it's awesome. It's wonderful. It is absolutely where I always thought the, the future would go. Like, robots will become a ubiquitous part of society as all sci-fi things fear. And as long as we don't, you know, take them for granted or oppress them, you know, all those, whatever the sci-fi stories are, you know, robots are coming. And robots will be a thing for a long time and we will eventually have the technology to download our brains into robots. It's come, it's gonna happen. Like, there's already companies out there that for, what was it, like $10,000, uh, they will basically kill you and take your brain and preserve it so that when the technology comes around for your brain to be put into a robot, they'll just stick it right in there. I'm not going to do that, but, you know, it's happening. So Japan is really taking out all the stops. It's going to be a technological wonderland, the Tokyo 2020 Olympics, and I'm very excited for it. Um, in fact... I think if I plan it well, I might actually be able to go prior to the Olympics and check out all that cool tech myself. But that is a trip for another time. I predict within the next five to 10 years, presuming we don't all kill each other, the driverless car will become pretty much the standard. We're going to see, hopefully, some incredible medical uh, developments. I predict the, the cure for ALS for example, in the next five to 10 years, uh, we're making great strides and actually finding a cure for cancer, which is fantastic. Like the next five to 10 years from a technological point of view, I think will be incredible. And we see these types of growth from a technological point of view all over the place. And it's just kind of not even news. I have a virtual reality headset in the next room and that shit still blows my mind. Like, it's crazy to me that I can just, boop, I'm in, you know? It's like the fucking Matrix over there. And everyone's just like, yeah, whatever. VR's, VR's niche, you know? VR's like, a, it's a gimmick, whatever. Like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do that. But it's just like, if we don't accept and adapt and take part in these new technological advancements, we're gonna be the ones that slow this shit down.
You know? Like, VR works and is incredible. And you should get it and you should use it. It's only going to get better. But it won't get better if the public is like, I don't need that. Pixels will become smaller. Computers and machines will become faster. Project Scorpio from Xbox. It's going to be the most powerful console ever devised. As each like next console is, you know? Technology is incredible right now. I've got a supercomputer in my pocket. Shit's fucking nuts. They couldn't even imagine that shit back in the 50s when they were thinking about the future. Didn't even cross their mind out of a thing that was possible. Back then, computers were the size of rooms. All on, like, film tape. Now you've got this incredible tool in your pocket that allows you to look up anything you could possibly want in seconds. And we complain about the fact that we get dropped service. The future is going to be really fucking cool. And I, for one, plan on staking around pretty much forever. My immortality will be achieved through technology. I will be that guy that is like an early adopter of the new robot body, right? And I'll live forever, but I'm going to... It's going to be like a, a horrible future of suffering and enduring. But immortality does not come easy. But I will endure. This is this is the voice of eternity you're hearing right now. Anyway, I don't know if my dreams are grandeur. I always like the, the optimistic attitude of planning for the future. And I think one of the reasons why I kind of went away was because, you know, we had the Cold War. And then we had the War on Terror. And now it's just this geopolitical nightmare escape of everybody reacting like an enemy is right around the doorstep and it's a pretty it's a pretty dark time it's pretty it's a pretty negative humanitarian attitude to have towards your fellow people but i think if we start dreaming of the future if we start thinking about what the world of tomorrow will look like you know the visions of progress if we start that up again it gives us a goal to strive for because tomorrow is impossible to predict. We don't know what it's gonna happen. We could all wake up dead tomorrow. But, we dream for a future. Perhaps that'll give us a little bit something extra to wake up alive for. I don't know where I'm going with this, but I like thinking about tomorrow. Think about tomorrow from tech. Think about where we're gonna be as fellow human beings. It's pretty fucking cool. I think that'll do it for the Going Upcast. Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And I will talk to you all next week, where we will begin a whole, whole brand new adventure. Whole brand new adventure. Have a good one, guys.